0: Well, today's date is December 17th, 2017, and we are continuing our series of the 12th round battle. I want to recap several messages that we've covered so far. Y'all ready? Everybody got your notebooks and your pens ready? Let's do it. So message one, ring revelations and calling the round. Message two, spiritual stance. Message three, body shots. Message four, granite chins and glass jaws. Did y'all enjoy these past messages? Yes. I know I was thoroughly enriched and blessed, and they are challenging me and equipping me at the same time. In the first message, we learned that we need to have our eyes open to the enemy's tactics. In spiritual stance, we learned that we need to have a wide base and hands. What? That's right. Last Sunday, Pastor Eric preached body shots. Everybody say body shots. shots. Wasn't that good? Did y'all use it that day? I know I did. He shared that Satan opposes the will of God and is successful. During the message, I was personally anxiously awaiting for the turn in which Revelation 21 gives us the hope that God wins. And here we close. The end is determined. Amen. Amen. Let me say that again. The end is determined. Amen. Is determined. What do we do when we get hit with a body shot, saints? Woo, y'all taking good notes. In addition to that, we also have ring praise, and we have press your purpose. Press your purpose personally, bless me, because if you just do the first two, but you don't have a, a, the lasting blow of a counter offense, you're still going to be open to the enemy's tactics to take you back down, right? Well, this past Wednesday w- was just a power-packed message. Justin Treaser brought it down home glass jaws i'm sorry granite chins and glass jaws gave me a new respect and understanding for a certain title that i would like to bestow to justin treester so much like you have weighed the homiletic blade uh sutherland i think justin treester needed to be dubbed justin the to knock you upside the head treester I couldn't be more proud at what God is doing in our disciples. And the richness of what God is pouring into you guys and then what is coming out, I can tell you is blessing all three pastors immensely. We need your in-depth study of the word. We need your hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I want to say just publicly, Justin, thank you for your hunger and thirst. It blessed us richly, tremendously. One of the, the more... Pertinent aspects of granite chins and glass jaws that I glean from is listen to your corner. We need... I need my brothers and my brothers what? Need me. There can't be anything more pertinent that when you're in a battle, when you're in that ring and you are getting hammered, you need that ability to hear from your corner. You need that ability to hear from your brothers that are calling out what they have the bigger objective and that way you can have an offensive that takes the enemy down. Amen? Amen? Well, I want to go over some highlights of Justin's message. So we begin with what, saints? you all remember? Clinch. Everybody say, clinch. clinch. There we go. So the clinch was Revelation 13. as an acknowledgment that Satan had been given power. If that wasn't enough tension, the book of Daniel said the saints would experience defeat for a time at his hands. Wow. Everybody say, turn. Now, Justin eloquently interweave the pastor's revelation into his own. You know, it's one thing as you mind God's word that you get special things that the Lord gives you. It is totally another to incorporate someone else's revelation and treat it as your own. That's endearing to the pastors. From that, we learned that the Stevens have a scripture that states that God's ways are perfect no matter the circumstances. Amen. The Sutherland's have boundary lines that have fallen in pleasant places, no matter what the peril. Amen. The p are countering to the head with the fact that God's promises do not fail. Amen. Justin's strategy, the mountain offensive, was clearly illustrated in our need to listen to our corner. He had 1 John 4, 6, that we listen to our brothers. Secondly, we set our gaze. Say, set your gaze. Set your gaze. Y'all doing good this morning. Isaiah 50, because the sovereign Lord helps me, therefore I've set my face like for Lent. Yeah. Three, wrap your hands. Everybody say, wrap your hands. Wrap your hands. In Deuteronomy 6, 3, we bind his commands, thereby, thereby binding ourselves to God's character and he as the rock. The zeal of our young disciples to always expect to win is something we can all be inspired by. Yeah. In my younger days, or back in my day, I had the same expectation. But we know that the reality is a little different and harsher than that. And that reality is that sometimes God's will isn't done. So I want to share something today. And the title of the message is Getting Off the Ropes. I chose this title and this subject because everything I'm going to share with you this morning is happening in my life. Hopefully you can look at my life and see the very things that are happening in yours as well. And what I am aiming for is that what we are cornered by sometimes and that God's will isn't done, how do we get off the ropes and put to the enemy what he's trying to put to us? Amen. Turn in your word to 2 Kings chapter 3. We'll start in verse 15. Say there when you are there. 2 Kings 3, verse 15. While the harpist was playing. Yeah, I'm I'm, just sorry. Just being a guitar player, I can't look over that too quickly. That God can even use harpist. I think if you study the paleo, it's a a guy playing a guitar. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing, everybody say easy thing, easy thing. in the eyes of the Lord, he will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every, everybody say every, every. fortified city, city, and every, everybody say every, every, major town. You will cut down every. Everybody say every. Every. Good tree. Stop up all the springs and ruin. Every. Good field with stones. The scenario that we have is that you have three kings that join together to combat the king of Moab. And you have Elisha. Now Elisha is the successor of Elijah. He did twice as many miracles in his career as as a, a prophet than his predecessor. He's not a fly-by-night prophet. He is not just an unnamed man in the town of Judah. He is the prophet of all prophets for the nation of Israel. Wouldn't you say that when this man says something's going to happen, it's going to happen? I mean, you could take it to the bank. But let's go a little bit further. As we study the, the, the context, there's a certainty that God's will is going to be done. So let's skip to verse 26 of 2 Kings 3. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and he offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. Let me repeat that. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. If I go back to the previous statement that, or a prophecy that Elijah had, that Israel accomplished nearly 90% of what had already been prophesied. They stopped up springs. They threw stones in the field. They had routed their enemies and nearly completely crushed their enemies and thereby fulfilling the word of God that came through Elijah. You know, it's one thing whenever our enemy is more committed to victory than we are. Whenever God has spoken something personally to you, a word that has come from a reliable and consistent source, and it is sure as the day going to happen, and you get to 90, maybe even 98, 99% done, and the enemy cranks up his response and the fury against you becomes great. Come on, with a show of hands, who in here has ever attempted to do something for God in response to prophetic word? Look around, saints. That's almost 90% of our room. And in those attempts, were you resisted? Yes. Absolutely you were. Now, the more honesty, the honest part of this, were there times when the fury against you was great because the enemy was more committed than you were and you didn't complete that word? I did. This is a tough fact to face. Many theologians would call us heretics for saying so, that God's will is not done. But that's not where we stay. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, let me give some real-life scenarios, ones that have been in my life and I know in yours as well. When you get to that point, when you have put forth all of your effort or what you thought was all your effort, and the, the completion of victory is not yet at hand, but the enemy is on his heels and rolling back. And then he rises up and begins to defeat you. This looks like the inner thoughts, inside of my head and maybe yours well maybe if the leader that we had was a better leader we wouldn't be in this position i mean imagine the walk home that the israelites had after leaving this battle and the conversations that would ensue this may look like you go to a doctor and after going to that doctor for several months if not several years the ailment that you still have that impedes your ability to just function if not puts upon you the sentence of death is not alleviated. Maybe if I had a different doctor or my husband or this pastor or this person hadn't prophesied this to me, then I wouldn't be in this position of feeling this tension and this defeat. Or maybe if we had a better plan, we should have thought through this ahead of time a lot better. You begin to blame everybody and everything else around you. But the last thing that you ever consider is yourself. Saints, we don't need better kings. We don't need better plans. We need better soldiers. We need soldiers that are obedient to the word to its nth degree that we will fulfill our word just like God fulfills his. Amen. Amen. Amen? In doing this, there's the undeniable fact that God's will was not done. Here in 2 Kings 3, but more importantly, in our own lives. We're going to leave this clinch. But before I do, I want to point out the fact that the Father in heaven is not willing. Everybody say not willing. Not willing. That any of these little ones should be lost. Secondly, he wants all men to be saved. That the grace of God, this being the fifth message in our series, I thought it important that we focus on the grace of God. That in the midst of his will not being done at times, The Father is not willing that any of these little ones would be lost. Miscarriages, if not deaths, that have happened in this church, in your lives. It's not God's will. It's not His will that any of these be lost. And the grace that God gives us is the surety. It is the ultimate sovereignty of who He is. And the end is determined. The end of this matter is determined, and we don't have to stay within this temporary defeat. Everybody turn to Matthew 18. Let's read about this. We'll start in verse 12. Are you all feeling the weight of this reality like I am? You know, we read stories and accountings, real accountings, not just stories. Real events that have happened in the Word in other people's lives... And we become disconnected from it. It becomes an allegory. It becomes a, a figurative uh, of our of, of imagination or even just a concept. And we can't fully relate to it until we begin to apply it to the own events in our life. And we have the mirror of God's Word that eventually reveals our own heart and how we respond to this. But this is the grace that God begins to show us. Matthew 18, verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. You know, it's clinging to the character of God that gives us that renewed strength to persist and carry on. It's that clinging to His grace and the favor of who God is and being able to find the resoluteness and setting your face like flint towards the will of God and recovering from whatever the devil throws at you. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. This is good and pleases our Lord and Savior, Who wants all men, everybody say all men, men. to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The reality though is, are all men saved? That is not God's will. God's will is that all men are saved. So thereby we cling to the character of God and the grace that he shows us. He desires to use you and use me to go after those lost ones. He desires to use you and use me to go breach salvation to those who are lost because it's not His will that any of them are lost or that any of them are not saved. We have a duty to fulfill. Amen? Amen. I want to share something personal in that regard, with particular focus on Matthew 18 and losing a little one. Cassidy and I struggled for many years to conceive our first child. After eight months of marriage, we experienced our first miscarriage. There we were holding in our hand... A child the size of a pea. We struggled immensely with whose will or whose fault was this. Was it God's will? Was it Satan's plan? Or was it my fault? After two additional years of trying to wrestle with what is the will of God in this matter. The Lord opened our eyes to see that his will is not always done. That there's an adversary that we have to engage and combat. It was then that we stopped looking for someone or something to blame. And we started looking, for God, looking to God's promises. That we were called to be godly parents, raising godly children, and leaving a godly legacy. We clung to the character of God in this matter. I chose to preach this morning about getting off the ropes because I have to acknowledge there are areas in my life where God's will isn't done. And that's now as well as back then. You know, we see ourselves in a much better light if we look in the rearview mirror. Oh, that's the way I used to be. I'm not like that anymore. Well, I can tell you when the enemy starts punching you in the face and putting you against the ropes, what you thought was dead and gone in you then becomes revived and alive all over again but our response is still the same. There are areas in my brother's lives that the will of God is not done and There are areas in this church, in your lives, where God's will is not done. I want to make the turn and move beyond the fact that His will is not always done. I need to make the turn because if we sit here in despair, that is only giving and conceding victory to the enemy. We can't wallow in defeat. I want to make a turn. Do you want to make a turn? Yes. Come on, do you want to make a turn? Yes. Amen. Go loud this morning, that helps. All right, now turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. This scripture is an anchor. If you don't have this in one of your stones, men, you need it. You have to have it. You don't wait for a circumstance to land upon you, but you need this. You're at your hip ready to fire at any point in time. So here's how we turn, saints. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard, say hard. hard. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. And what? Continue to do good. Continue to do good. let's say it again. And to do what? Continue to do good. The way that we make our turn is that we commit ourselves to who our God is, and that He is faithful, that He is enduring, and that in the end He will win, and thereby we will win. And that gives us the strength and stamina to, to sustain ourselves and continue to do what is good. What the enemy is after is that you are pulverized and destroyed and there is not an ounce of confidence left in you to even begin to collect yourself and get back up. But you know what? The will of God is to do that to him. So as we continue to do good, clinging to God's character, we find the resolute strength to get back on our feet. Amen. Amen. Amen? So we have two conclusions in all this. One... If we do not obey, failure is certain. Yeah, yeah. Let me say it again. If we do not obey, failure is certain. Write that in your book. <laughs> but there's a second conclusion, one that gives hope. If we do obey, it will be hard, but victory is imminent, and defeat is only temporary. That's right. Let me say it again. Defeat is only temporary That's right. we ain't gotta stay here it's a very louisiana way of saying that in our turn we're going to focus on the role of obedience that plays in working towards god's ultimate sovereignty i don't know about you but that gives me comfort that i serve a god who is static I serve a God who doesn't change. I serve a God who's going to win every single time. And therefore, my defeat is only temporary. Victory is imminent in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Say there when you are there. I want to win, saints. Come on, I want to win. Tired of getting my butt kicked. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, do you want to get high? We're going to get high this morning. We're going to set ourselves on fire, roll up God's word and get high into the heavenly realms on his commands. Yeah, y'all laughing a little bit too hard on that. I'm just sharing with you what I've seen in the movies and heard from my brother. The Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Verse 7. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. You know, he doesn't tell us how long it takes. He just tells us that it's going to happen. Why do you think that is, saints? So So you will have faith. You will have an unmovable, an unshakable grounding in the character of God and thereby the word of God. It will give you the ability to cling to his commands and know that if you remain faithful to him, he's going to remain faithful to you. I want to finish my, my personal anecdote about sharing about our, our struggles to conceive. You know, it was a total of three years that Cassidy and I struggled to have our first child. Three years where really it doesn't sound like all that much. Do three times 365. I can't do that right now. I'm preaching. But it's a lot of days. So I would say someone in the neighborhood of maybe what, 1,100 days. That's 1,100 times you have to wake up in the morning and then face the fact that God's promises are not yet fulfilled. But we're celebrating something special tomorrow. December 18th is the day that Natalie Claire Pirro was born. It not only is the day that this beautiful child entered into our family, but it was three years almost to the day, three days difference to when we had our first miscarriage. That what we grieved over on December 15th, 1998, three years later, we celebrated by watching our daughter come into this world. Amen. I stand here today with four, four daughters who are monuments of God's victory in our lives. I stand here with four examples of how we got off the ropes and how we put our trust in God's character and His ultimate sovereignty, and they will be a legacy for Cassidy and I from this day forward. Turn to Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. I don't know about you, but even just preaching this is reviving my soul. Yeah. Amen. I feel the fire of God brewing. I feel it stoking within me. And from this, I gain strength, and I'm hoping that you are too. Amen. So Joshua 1, verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Rock Kazak, Hamas. Yeah. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful, say successful, Successful. wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord will be with you wherever you go. The very first scripture that the Lord gave me the night I was born again, came from Deuteronomy, and that is, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. What enables us to be strong and courageous? It is the ultimate sovereignty of God and the character that he is unchanging and that he is always winning. Though there were some failures in Joshua's walk, the sum total of his life was one of obedience. Leaving a legacy that others could follow and giving me hope and hopefully you hope that, I could, that we could leave a heritage of obedience for, to the Lord that our children could follow. Yeah. What we did this morning by praying over our youth, by fanning into flame the fire of God that is within them, this is what we as parents, this is what we as a, adults are called to do. That we take the obedience that God has implanted inside of us and we transfer it, we mimic it, we imitate it, we demonstrate it to all of our children. That when I am dead and gone, I want the legacy of loving God and propel others into his presence to carry on. I want my call to outlive me. I want those that are coming after me to succeed me, to overachieve what I have done in the past. Yeah. If they do not, saints, if you do not surpass the pastors, then we have failed you as pastors. That's- So we're shouting from the rooftops this morning, be strong and courageous and fully obey all of God's word. And you absolutely will. Turn to Psalm 103, starting verse 19. There you go. (laughs) The Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Can you feel what I feel as we read Psalm 103? Can you feel that hope rising? that the ultimate sovereignty and character of God enables us to lift our heads up and begin to praise when we're against the ropes? We need hope, and hope is found in God's unchanging nature. When I see you, the church, I can't help but see God's ultimate sovereignty at work in your lives. And I want to call out a few. First and foremost, Nick and Sam and you're going to have your sons. You're going to get them. You're going to be surrounded by it. Alex and Haley Adormes, where are you guys at? Right there. What you guys have done by taking Cason into your home, being on the ropes and constantly getting out and right back in, God's going to renew the strength of that young man. He's going to be a preacher. He is going to send out fire from God's throne. He is going to touch the hearts of men and women, and he's going to turn them from hell back to God. I promise you. That's God's unchanging nature. Saints, we're going to see Teresa Vincent be completely healed and her vision restored. God didn't say when these things would happen. He just said that they would happen. We can't give up now. We're going to see thriving churches in the region of Aswan. We're going to see churches planted in Indonesia. Yes. We're going to see churches planted in Peru. Yes. And yet there is more to come. We mount unoffensive by planting our feet. That what you feel resonate as we call out each one of these promises that have yet to be fulfilled is that there is a deepening of character and dependency in the nature of God and thereby the Word of God. We first have to mount our feet. I mean, plant our feet in mounting an offensive. When you've been up against the ropes, regardless of reason, you have to make the turn and go on the offensive. To just sit against the ropes is to concede victory to the enemy. We have to turn. So here's how we go on the offensive we're going to plant our feet. Everybody say, "plant plant our feet. We're regaining our balance. Go to Psalm chapter 40. Oh, David, David was a lyricist. He was the hip hop and his rhymes were bottomless. And when he put these Psalms together, he opened the doors to his soul and his heart and he led us in. We get to partake of David's struggles and his inner thoughts. And also we get to partake of his victories in every single way. So let's look at David's heart. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, and out of the mire. Do do an etymological search on mire and see exactly what that is. That's what we call Louisiana (laughs) boo-boo-D. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When you're up against the ropes and you're covered with mire, you can't seem to get your feet out from underneath you. You begin to plant your feet on the rock of God's word. Come on, what happens whenever you begin to turn and mount an offensive and plant your feet on God's word? You begin to hum a little song. You can always tell when somebody is being victorious, though their circumstances are not victorious because they're singing. They're letting a new song of praise come out of their mouth. You want to be able to tell if I'm in a good mood or bad mood? I'm singing. I'm humming a song. It's in me. It's in all all of us. You don't have to be a worship leader for this to happen. God designed us to be planted on his word. And the result will be that ring praise. We are not standing on our circumstance. We are standing on the rock of God's word. Circumstantial faith is based upon the assumption that favorable conditions will not change. Huge. That as long as this doesn't change, God, I can trust you. You know what this is like? This is like a boxer throwing punches at shadows and walking away and calling himself a champion. You're not really engaging with anything of substance. And yet, you're tired at the end and thought you've worked out. Circumstantial faith will fail you every single time. But let's look at two kinds of builders found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Amen. I want to build right. So we live in Houston where there is construction all the time the sign of the economy is doing good is not whether or not you're building it's whether or not you're building at a breakneck speed or not we see neighborhoods coming up left and right a lot of the houses that that i've lived in here in in, uh in sugarland and in houston were built back in the 80s and some of them i can tell that were built with very good quality construction and some not so much but you know, what is the first thing you begin to do when you build a house? You leave a found, you establish a foundation. Let's look at exactly how we need to do this. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine a, does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You know what the obvious pashat of this parable is? The storm hit them both just because you build on the rock does not mean that your life will be free of storms. The difference in a Christian's life versus those who are not followers of Jesus is that after the storms you are still standing. My marriage is still standing because it's built on the rock. My children are still standing because they are built on the rock. This ministry is still standing because we are built on the rock. Sand is easy to build on. It's quick, but it's only temporary until a storm comes. You may have the finest house built upon sand, but when it's said and done, it will come down with a great crash. If you were ever tempted to look at other people's lives that do not serve the Lord, and you begin to wonder, like you see David wonder in the Psalms, why are the wicked blessed? Why is it they have no hardships? Their life looks so perfect. They have everything that they need and they have everything that they want. Let me reassure you, saints, what they built is sitting on sand. And there will be a day. It's not if, it's when. There will be a day when a storm will come and it will come down with a great crash. And then they will look to you at your trailer on stilts built upon bedrock. And they will see the house of God that still remains in the glory of God that sits upon it. They'll come to you for advice and refuge. Not only are we going to stand, we are going to win in the name of Jesus. Let's go to Psalm 52, verse 8. Come on, stay awake with me. There you go. Psalm 52, verse 8. But I am like an olive tree. Say, olive tree. Olive tree. Flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. An olive tree is one that is planted in the most torrential and most harshest of soils. It is planted in the house of God. And no matter what storm or no matter what event comes by... It remains and continues to bear life and continues to bear fruit. Psalm 128 verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots, Nick and Sam. They will surround your table. You know, when we build upon the rock, when we plant our feet in God's word, we are immovable. And like a boxer would do against the ropes, is that the first thing that he does is that he plants his feet because there are punches to be delivered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before we get there, we have a few more things. It's time to plant our feet in Joshua twenty-three, fourteen, that the promises of God never fail. It's time to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, like Hebrews 12, 1 says you should. We should let God's word that is living and active judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. By planting our feet, we are preparing for God's power to be in place. Yes. Let me say that one more time. By planting our feet, we are preparing for God's power to be in place. Amen. Much like a boxer, again, when he's against the ropes, he plants his feet because there is force that it's going to have to sustain when blows are delivered back to the enemy. With His Word firmly setting our feet in place, we will now look at how to cut off your opponent. This is our second step in mounting the offensive. Cut off your opponent. Amen. Everybody turn to 2 Corinthians 10, starting verse 4. There. Say there when you are there. There, there you go. There. 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 So let's start with cutting off thoughts. That oppose the knowledge of God. Because we want to let the word of God start with us first, not everybody else. 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's the important part. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Amen. You want to be able to get off the ropes. Not only do you plant your feet, but you are using God's word that you plant your feet off of or onto to cut past the enemy's lies that are constantly bombarding your mind. You know, there are days, sometimes weeks, months, if not years, where everywhere I go, there's a constant thought working on my mind, trying to pin me against the ropes, trying to get me to be discouraged, lose my confidence. Miss the call of God and the purpose that he's put on my life, wanting to destroy me. But the minute that God's word begins to plant my feet, I now have the ability to cut off that thought, give it no life and make it obedient to Christ. That's exactly what a boxer does after he plants his feet. He is looking for an opening on the left or the right that he can use that stance to cut through the attack of his enemy and get in a strategic position. Once you've cut off the thoughts that, you have, that have cornered your mind, you are then fit to cut off the thoughts that come from others. Amen. Let's go to Psalm 26, verse 4. Good word, Pastor. Amen. There. There. I need you to realize that there is a deliberate order to this. A reason I say that you are fit to then cut off. The thoughts that come from others, because if you cannot settle, if you cannot make obedient your own thoughts, you will not be able to discern the thoughts of others. If ever you're surrounded in chaos and you're up against the ropes, get in the word, plant your feet and begin to look for opportunities to take these thoughts captives. Make make them submitted to God's word and you're going to find that victory that you need. And then any advice that comes out from that, you're going to see it as clear as day and night. Psalm 26, verse four. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse. Say refuse. refuse. Yeah, that's exactly right. Refuse to sit with the wicked. Saints, cutting off your opponent is more than just taking thoughts captive and refu- refusing evil suggestions. It is also an action item. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. So the way that this progresses, you take your own thoughts captive, you take other people's thoughts captive, and then you put feet to your faith and you begin to cut off your enemy by an actionable item that counters his attack. Amen. This may look like a loved one, a family member, someone in your workplace, or maybe somebody in this church that is being used by the devil to corner you, to make you feel defeated and to beat you against the ropes. And when you walk through this process, you are then able to turn and bless the very people that the devil is telling you you need to hate, despise, and go away from. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to bless and not curse. When we repay evil with evil, it's like Pastor Eric said last last Sunday, returning body shot for body shot. But when we bless and do not curse we're countering directly to the head and things begin to go our way. You cannot wait for someone or something other than you to cut off your opponent. You have to step forward and initiate the offensive moves of casting down godly thoughts, cutting off the counsel of the wicked, and blessing those who curse you. It is your responsibility. Everybody say, my My. responsibility. One more time. My My responsibility. responsibility. There we go. Psalm 118, verse 10. Let's go there. Here's a little bit of insight why this hit me like it did. Now, as we read this, I saw my responsibility to do these things because I can't take your thoughts captive for you. I cannot constantly be next to you to discern for you the counsel that you receive outside of the pastors. I cannot take your hands and make you bless those who are cursing you. It is your responsibility. When you're up against the ropes, you'll find yourself planting your feet in the word of God, cutting off your enemy, and then taking responsibility to do something as a counter with action. So as we see here in Psalm 118 verse 10. All the nations surround me. It's kind of like being on the ropes. But in the name of the Lord. Say it with me. I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side. But in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They swarmed me like bees. But they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Who is cutting them off, saints? I am. Who is cutting them off, saints? I am. It's your responsibility. Amen. Not only is planting your feet and cutting off your opponent your responsibility, but now we move to the th- third step, persistent and deliberate punching. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you find that open spot right on his jaw. And you just let the, the fire rage. You let the punches roll. Amen. How do we do this? We're going to load up in the word of God with heavy wrappings of the word around each fist. Amen. You know what happens after that? We're going to hit him. Yeah. You know what happens after that? Hit him again. And what are we going to do after that? We're going to hit him, saints. Why do you load up with the word of God? Because you need your hands wrapped with his word. And that is going to be the power that sustains a knockout blow. Persistent, deliberate punching. Is it now that you have planted your feet? You cut off your opponent, leaving him nowhere to turn and he is against the ropes. You need to inflict persistent and deliberate punching, pummeling his face. Pounding his confidence into the ground. You put him right where you were. And the victory will be yours. Let's see how Jesus did this on the sands of the Judean desert. Luke chapter 4. So one thing I want to highlight as we read through this very familiar passage about Jesus being tempted in the desert. I want you to see the word answered. Because when we are delivering persistent and deliberate punches, we are answering the devil back to his face. Starting as verse 4, Jesus answered. It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered. Punched him right in the jaw. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, did he quote chapter and verse and book? No. (laughs) He just quoted what the word was. You know what? A lot of you guys get tongue-tied. You get intimidated because you don't remember the exact address and zip code of where a verse is. You know, it's more important that you actually know what it says and that you use it. I don't have to quote my intelligence to the devil. I just have to quote the word of God. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting the word. And Jesus punched him in the jaw. He answered. And it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, the devil left him at that point. And was waiting for a more opportune time. Three hits, a combo, right, left, right. Jesus knocked him in the jaw. And we're going to hit him. We're going to hit him just like Jesus did. Every thought, every bit of wicked counsel, every curse that tries to be bestowed upon you from someone else, you're going to hit back with the word of God. Let's look at some examples. Go to Genesis 6. We'll look at Noah. Starting in verse 13. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself... Sounds like some responsibility. So make yourself an ark of Cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You know, how many of us would be in that boat where, or be in that boat, huh, didn't mean to say that. How many of us would be in that position God told us to make a boat? And we're waiting for it to descend from heaven on clouds. That, Lord, I'm just waiting for you to provide a way out. I'm waiting for you to provide salvation. But the Lord has told you, you go do these things that I told you. You build that boat. And then when the flood comes, I'm going to save you. (laughs) It's persistent and deliberate punching that Noah did with every tree that he cut down, every nail that he used to fasten each board together as he coated it with pitch. He was day after day hammering with God's promises and his word and with his obedience. You know, your obedience for one week may not be enough to fulfill the promises of God in your life. That's right. You have to do it every day, all day, every day, all day. You don't quit. Let's look at another example. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19 and look at Elijah. I have to be very deliberate on that. I always get them mixed in my, my mumbling and phonetic uh, mishaps. First Kings 19, verse 14. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Sounds like a man in despair, right? Yeah. Yes, I have. Lord, I'm the only only one saving you. And everybody else is falling away. And I'm the only righteous one left. Mm, I don't know about that. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint. Everybody say anoint. Anoint. Haziel, king of Aram. Also, anoint. Everybody say anoint. Anoint. Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. You know, there's, there's a certain strategic position. That you take in a military attack. You triangulate. That you want to surround your enemy in such a way that as a triangle would surround a center target, every, every corner of that triangle could fire and not hit each other, but destroy, utterly obliterate their enemy. What God was commanding Elijah to do in his deepest, darkest moment of despair was go put your hands on these men of God. They will be the persistent and the deliberate punches to rid this area of the enemy. That by anointing others, God would accomplish what couldn't be fulfilled in your lifetime. Does that resonate with what we did this morning? You know, sometimes the time span that God designs victory to accomplish exceeds the lifespan that you have to live. In fact, he designs that every single time. And our persistent and deliberate punching is that we're going to impart into our youth, we're going to impart into disciples the very same anointing that was imparted upon us. And by doing so, there'll be nowhere that the enemy has to run or hide. And he will be utterly destroyed among us. Amen? Amen? Let's look at one final option or example. Let's go to Romans Chapter 2. Now, as I said earlier, we can look at other men's lives in the Word, and it makes all the sense in the world. And it's a truth that is undeniable of how it should be applied. But what about us? What about us right here, right now? That we are planting our feet, we are cutting off the opponent. And we are delivering persistent and deliberate blows and punches to the enemy's face. Romans 2 verse 6 says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. It is your responsibility to take action. To those who by persistence, say persistence, Persistence. in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. You saints every single person in here, you can be like these men of God and so many others by planting your feet, cutting off your opponent, and throwing persistent and deliberate punches of obedience to God's Word. The kingdom of God is not inhabited by lifeless planks waiting for the devil to walk all over them. Rather, it is inhabited by those who are coiled springs ready to deliver a persistent and deliberate punch to the enemy's head until he has fallen, fled, or he's dead. Amen. You know, circling back to the Second Kings 3 example, what we see is a reflection of what happens in our own lives is that they had a non-persistent, a non-deliberate punching. So I want to ask you, saints, now is the time to reflect. Now is the time to change. How does your own heart, more importantly, how does your own actions measure up to this offensive measure? Have you failed to plant your feet and stood still with wobbly knees and crushed confidence? I know I have. Have you allowed the enemy to cut you off and put you on the ropes, hemming you in with reminders of failure and despair? I know I have. Have you failed to follow through with persistent and deliberate punching, giving the enemy time to regain his offensive and pummel you instead? I know I have. So I ask, as you reflect on this, let's take time get our hearts right before God. Ask the Lord to reveal to you which one, if not all three of these are occurring in your life. But more importantly, how do you do it? How do you implement this into your exact situation? Is your faith a conditional faith? Is it a circumstantial faith? Or is it one that's sure in what it hoped for and certain in what it doesn't see? I can tell you that even as I preach now, I'm getting off the ropes. I'm putting these things to practice. So let's stand to our feet.